0: Right, please turn with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 11. Exodus chapter 11. So we're going to start this morning. Uh, I want to start by telling you a little story, though. Once upon a time, there was uh, a man from the city who went to visit his cousin in the country. And when he arrived at his, his cousin's ranch, his cousin took him out and he was showing him all around the ranch property, and then at one point in time... Uh, the rancher just whistled real loud, and, and his dog came running. his dog came running, he began to herd all of the sheep into the pen, right? He's, he's moving back and forth, left and right, picking up the stragglers, moving them all into the pen. Once he's got them all in the pen, this dog uh, gets uh, next to the gate and pushes the gate shut, gets up on its, its hind feet, and, and sets the latch on the gate. And the cousin from the city is like, oh my gosh, that is absolutely amazing, I mean, I've never, I've never seen anything like that. You must, you must absolutely love your dog. What a smart dog you have. He said, yeah, it's a, it's a great dog. So, what's your dog's name? The rancher paused for a second, and he goes, um, remind me, what's the, what's the name of that, that flower? It's usually red. You know, it smells really nice. It's got thorns on it. And his cousin from the city goes, a rose? Are you talking about a rose? He goes, that's it, a rose, a rose. So he stops, and he turns toward the house, and he goes, hey, Rose, What's the name of our dog? (laughs) I just, I made, that's all made up, right? Uh, Just illustrating a point. It's easy for us to forget. And it gets worse as you get older, but I'm not talking about that form of forgetfulness, right? I'm talking about the form of forgetfulness that strikes all of us. We forget that God is the source of everything good and beautiful in our lives. In fact, as Paul says, in him we live and breathe and move and have our being. We, we don't exist apart from him. But how many of us woke up this morning and the first thought was, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for giving me life. Thank you for giving me breath. Right? We, we, just, we, we tend to forget. It's, it's a human condition. And so God gives us moments like this that kind of force us to stop and remember. And to share in remembrance together. In a few weeks, we're going to talk about uh, Israel's annual calendar that was, in a sense, built by God around remembrance and worship. But for this week, we're going to start with the, the first moment that he called them to remember. It was the beginning of their year. It's the, the moment of Passover. And it was a call to remember and so that they would not forget. And the first thing that he actually called them to remember was to remember his justice. To remember his justice, to remember his judgment, to remember his holiness, because before The good news of deliverance would come. They had to acknowledge that God is just. So I want you to look with me beginning in Exodus chapter 11. And we're going to look at this pattern of remembrance in the Passover. And we're going to be moving throughout chapters 11 through 15. So I want you to just uh, move quickly with me. Starting 11 verse 1. It says, Now the Lord said to Moses, One more plague I will bring on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out from here completely. Now verse 4. Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I am going to go into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the millstones, all the firstborn of the cattle as well. Moreover, there shall be a great cry in all the land of Egypt, such as there has not been before, and such as shall never be again. But against any of the sons of Israel, a dog will not even bark, whether against man or beast, that you may understand how the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these your servants will come and bow down to me and bow themselves before me, saying, go out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month they are each to take one lamb for themselves, according to their father's households a lamb for each household. Now if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them, according to what each man should eat. You are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month, then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. Verse 11. Now you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, with your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste, it is the Lord's Passover. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the households where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now chapter 12, verse 28. Then the sons of Israel went and did so just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Now it came about at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the cattle. Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was no home where there was not someone dead. So remember where this story started a few weeks ago. It started with Israel in slavery for 400 years. And even under slavery, they continued to multiply to the extent that Pharaoh and his people became afraid. And they said, you know, we have to stop this multiplication. They're going to become more powerful than we are. They're going to join with our enemies. They're going to fight against against us, and they're going to leave. And so Pharaoh ordered that the the midwives put the children to death, the the sons to death at birth. Midwives, remember, rebelled against him. So Pharaoh ordered his own people. If you see a Jewish child, boy, throw it into the river. Kill The Jewish children, which was an assault on God's authority over his own people. In fact, if you look back at chapter 4, verse 21, notice the Lord's description of his people. It says, The Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son. Israel is my firstborn. And Pharaoh was exalting himself over God and over God's people because Pharaoh saw himself as God, God in human flesh, the highest of all of the gods in the land. And so he was taking the children of God's people, the firstborn specifically, throwing them into the Nile, making a sacrifice to another one of the Egyptian gods. And God said no. God said no. So he began to execute judgments that we call the plagues, nine of them that became progressively more and more severe, resulting in the final one where God said, if you take my firstborn, I will take your firstborn. Verse 23, so I said to you, let my son go that he may serve me, but you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Each of the judgments designed to show God's supremacy over the Egyptian gods and ultimately over Pharaoh himself who was considered God in human flesh. God was demonstrating, remember, that as we said last week, that he's sovereign. That he has all power and he has the right to use his power as he sees fit. And the way that he uses his power will always be right because he knows all things. But as we noted, the, the, these judgments are they're protracted, right? Why, why, why ten of them? Right? Stretched out. Over a series of probably weeks, why did God drag it out when he could have just immediately rescued his people, as we noted in Second Peter chapter three, verse nine, The Lord is not slow about his promise As some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish but for all to come to repentance. And what Peter's talking about in chapter 3 in the context is God's people saying, when are you going to bring judgment? When are you going to bring judgment? It seems like nothing's happening, Lord. Nothing's happening. You said that you would set all things right, but you haven't. And Peter says, God's not slow, but God's patient. Or as Paul notes in Romans chapter 2, do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? That is always God's preferred mode. He holds back on his justice, so he gives the Egyptian people in particular an opportunity to repent, nine opportunities to repent. But ultimately, there was a point of no return where God said, now it's time. There, there must be justice. And what's interesting, in the middle of this discourse about Israel's exodus, there is a, there's a long discourse about this idea of the firstborn not just what Israel was to God but what Israel was to do with their firstborn for all generations if you look at chapter 13 read with me in verse 1 it says then the lord spoke to moses saying sanctify to me every firstborn the first offspring of every womb among the sons of israel both of man and of beast it belongs to me verse 11 Now when the Lord brings you to the land of the Canaanite, as he swore to you and to your fathers and gives it to you, you shall devote to the Lord the first offspring of every womb and the first offspring of every beast that you own. The males belong to the Lord. But every first offspring of a donkey, you shall redeem it with a lamb. But if you don't redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And every firstborn of man among your sons, you shall redeem. It shall be when your son asks you in time to come saying, what is this? Then you shall say to him, With a powerful hand the Lord brought us up out of slavery from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And it came about when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go that the Lord killed every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord the males, the first offspring of every womb, but the firstborn of my sons I redeem. Why the firstborn? God said, I own the firstborn. I own the firstborn. The firstborn belongs to me. Why? Because the firstborn represents the life and the future of the family. Remember, the firstborn received a double portion of inheritance. The firstborn, in a sense, held the future of the family financially and held the reputation of the family, but the firstborn also held all the debts of the family. It's like an executor of the will. When, When the executor, who may also be the heir, sits down and reads the will, he begins to distribute properties according to the will gets maybe a double portion, but also has to distribute funds according to the debts of the family and put them in priority. What's happening here is God says, I I own the future. I own your life. And so I own the representative of the family who carries both the hopes and the dreams, but also the debt of the family. And in this moment, God is saying, I'm coming to collect the debt. I'm coming to collect the debt from the representative of the family that is the firstborn. Certainly the firstborn of Egypt. Because they had lived uh, this this immoral and completely idolatrous life. They had been worshipping all of creation, not the creator himself. They'd been worshipping the Nile. And they'd been worshipping cattle. And they'd been worshipping beetles. They'd been worshipping the sun and the moon and the stars. But also, he was judging them for the fact that they had taken away the future and the hope of Israel for 400 years. But God was also... Collecting a debt on his own people, right? Israel was not uh, completely without sin during this 400 years. Israel had had accumulated debt before the Lord. And so, whether it was an Egyptian or a Jew, they had an opportunity, as we'll talk about in more detail in just a moment, to transfer that debt to someone else. But the debt had to be paid. the debt had to be paid, it would either be paid by the family in the form of its firstborn or it would be paid by a substitute. A transfer. Why? Because sin always creates debt to God. Remember God's justice. Remember God's righteousness. Remember God's holiness. Sin always creates debt. For the Egyptians, for the Jews, and for us. As Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6 verse 23, For the wages of sin is death. Right? The only appropriate payment for sin is is life And you know this is hard for us to understand, uh, because uh, we compare ourselves to one another, right? and we're relatively good or relatively bad, but we're certainly not the worst. But God isn't judging, in a sense, on that relative scale. He's looking at each and every one of us as a debtor. We owe a debt to him, and the debt can only be paid with life. We pay ourselves or a substitute pays on our behalf." So it says in Hebrews chapter nine, "All things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood, there is, in fact, no forgiveness." Because God can't simply overlook sin because he's completely and utterly holy. That is, no one with sin can dwell in intimacy in his presence. It just cannot happen because of who God is. This last week, latest episode of uh, The American Life, it's a great podcast if you ever want to listen to it, Uh, uh, the the title of it was Getting Away With It. And what they did is they, they asked people to call in if they'd ever gotten away with something. But they did something they knew they shouldn't do, but they got away with it, and no one called in and, and admitted any like major crimes or anything. But a thousand people called in, and you know most of them were kind of minor transgressions. A, a guy talked about you know he put a worm in a girl's hair and he never got caught. No one ever knew like little silly things like that. But some are a little more significant. People faking graduation from high school or faking graduation from college and getting jobs, which I don't recommend at all. Right? Just students just graduate. Just deal with it. But it was interesting, you know, all these, these folks, yeah, I got away with it. I got away with it. And they're calling in anonymously because they think they've still gotten away with it on earth. But not before God. Because He sees all things, He knows all things, and we're accountable to Him. And so before we hear the good news of deliverance, God calls His people to remember the cost of sin. Remember God's justice. Then remember your deliverance. Read with me in chapter 12, verse 21. Then Moses called for all of the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood which is in the basin And apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and to the two doorposts. And none of you shall go outside the door of his house until morning. So every family would take a lamb. One year old lamb. If the family was too small, they'd join with another family. But they all had to take a lamb. And they would take that lamb actually into their household for four days. The four days was the examination period. They had to select a lamb that was without blemish. But then they kept the lamb with them for four days to make sure that the lamb was in fact a worthy sacrifice to the Lord. Four days with the lamb, four days for the children to become attached, right? And to play with the lamb and to pet the lamb and to love the lamb and then to watch dad slaughter the lamb. And then they would watch because God wanted the children to understand and remember. They had to watch. They would watch the slaughtering. They would watch their dad dip a, a bit of hyssop, wild oreganoid, dip a branch in the blood, and then he would spread it. He would spread it. He'd say, now, go inside and don't leave the house. Go inside and don't leave the house, because if you're, if you're under the blood, you're safe. You're safe. Because the sacrifice has been made on behalf of our family, so our lives will not be taken Our hope will not be taken. Our future will not be taken. But you're at risk if you're here, but you're safe under the blood. Stay under the blood. And then the family would join together and they would eat the meal. And while they're enjoying the meal, death would be spreading throughout the land. And so there was this this joyful moment of celebration in God's deliverance and this, this dread of death spreading, but the confidence and hope that they were safe because they were still under the blood. And what's interesting is the the, the destroyer was not um, ethnically focused. In fact, if there, was a, if there was an Egyptian who believed and spread blood on their door, the Egyptian was safe. If it was a Jew, if it was another nationality who was a slave, it didn't matter. What distinguished people was faith. Right? Did they believe that God had the right over life and death? Did they believe that God had the power over life and death? Did they believe God when he said, you're safe if you spread the blood? It was a distinction by faith. In fact, if you look at chapter 12, Verse 48, the foreigners were invited to celebrate with Israel. Chapter 12, verse 48, it says, But if a stranger sojourns with you and celebrates the Passover to I am, let all his males be circumcised, then let him come near to celebrate it. And he shall be like a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person may eat of it. Because circumcision was a sign of the faith of the family. The same law shall apply to the native as to the stranger who sojourns with you. So even in the moment of this deliverance, there, there was just a, a sense of the cost of sin. Right? And the brutal ravages of sin. I remember a, a few years ago, and probably many years ago now, it's probably about 20 years ago, I went, I, I went to, to Kazakhstan. I would go annually and I would teach theology and, and ethics. And one time when I visited, it was during a season when the Muslims were celebrating their holiday where they sacrifice a lamb. They sacrifice a lamb in commemoration, they believe, of Abraham going on the mountain and being told by God to sacrifice Ishmael. Not Isaac, but Ishmael. And God providing a substitute, a ram as a substitute. For Ishmael. I was actually in the capital city, it's Almaty, you know, it's millions and millions of people, but what the people would do is they'd go out in the country, they would bring a lamb into the, into the city, right, and we were in these high-rise apartment complexes, just apartment after apartment after apartment after apartment, and early, early in the morning, all of a sudden you would hear these sheep bleeding, you'd hear these blood-curdling cries, and in the morning as we walked out, you'd see blood all over every porch of every apartment, they sprayed some of it off but there were pools of blood everywhere when he came back in the evening the blood was dried and it was just it bloody it's a reminder right for israel and their celebration is a reminder the sin is costly but god has provided a substitute to rescue you from death isaiah picked up this theme chapter 53 Said, But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. That is, his. our guilt will be transferred to him. Isaiah is speaking prophetically, but he speaks in the past tense because he's so certain that this will happen. That God will send a better lamb to be the substitute for our sins. That we can transfer our our debt to him, not annually in remembrance, but once and for all the debt fully paid by the one who will bear our iniquities who will bear our shame who will bear our guilt and deliver us from death and not just deliver us from death but in the moment that that Israel was delivered from death by coming under the blood they woke up in the morning they were also free from slavery look with me in chapter 12 and verse 33 Exodus chapter 12 verse 33 it says the Egyptians urged the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we will all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened with their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes on their shoulders. Now the sons of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, for they had requested from the Egyptians articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the the Egyptians so that they let them have their request. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. So they're delivered from death. they're They're under they're under the blood. They share the meal. Death strikes the land. They walk out in the morning. And they, and they, have, they have all of the Egyptians' wealth. They have their silver. They have their gold. God, God has given them all their wealth. And, and then they leave. Right? Not only free, freed from slavery, but enriched. Because the dread of, of, of Israel and Israel's God was upon them. The Egyptians handed over their wealth. And Israel walked out of Egypt free and rich. Wealthy, and then what happened? Pharaoh changed his mind again and tried to bring him back into slavery. Just like that, just like that. Look with me in chapter fourteen and verse five. So when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart toward the people, and they said, "What is this we have done? That we have let Israel go from serving us? We we just sent away all of our slave labor. What are we thinking?" So he made his chariot ready. And took his people with him, and he took six hundred select chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he chased after the sons of Israel as the sons of Israel were going out boldly. Then the Egyptians chased after them with all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them camping by the sea beside pi Piharamoth and in front of Baal Zephon. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Oh, how quickly we forget. Verse 13, but Moses said to the people, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep Silent. Now, I, I will confess, I inspire easily. Like I, I love, I love inspirational movies. This weekend, Tristy and I watched Race. It's the story of Jesse Owens. It's amazing. Just, it's so inspirational. I love Chariots of Fire and Rudy and Apollo Thirteen. Like, I just love inspirational movies. Uh, one of the movies I love. One of my favorite cartoon movies is Prince of Egypt. Okay, it, it's it maybe maybe DreamWorks best ever, and I understand that there are biblical and historical inaccuracies. I get that, right? It's DreamWorks. I don't have the expectation that it's going to be perfect. I've read the story before. I get it. And, and I'm a high critic, so I'm sitting there making mental notes about what, what's not right while I'm watching it. But I love the scene... Of the Exodus, right? Because even as a cartoon, it it allows me to imagine what transpired. As the people, two million of them, have left, and all of a sudden they turn around and they hear rumblings and they see the the most powerful army on the face of the earth chasing after them, and then this wall of fire comes down. Can you imagine a wall of fire in between you and these other people? You can't even get close to it, it's burning, and Pharaoh's army has to has to back up. And it's there all night. But you're still trapped. You're trapped between a sea, a wall of fire and the Red Sea. Where where will you go And you don't have adequate food and you don't have adequate water and you're trapped in this place? What will you do? And then in the morning, Moses raises up his arms and, and the sea parts and there are these towering walls of water and you walk through on dry ground, right? You're not slogging through the mud. You're walking through on dry ground and it's probably a bit fanciful but there are these flashes of lightning and you see whales and sharks in the side I and mean, yeah, it'd be like a really cool fish tank. I mean, one of those shark tanks where they're swimming over you. are like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Probably, probably even better than that. And you get to the other side and Pharaoh's army starts to chase. And the walls of water collapse. And I think, mean, man, if I had seen that, I would never sin again. <laughs> right? Would you? But they did. and We're going to look in a couple weeks about another one of their moments of forgetfulness. Moses is up on the mountain. He's lightning is flashing and he's getting the Ten Commandments. And they go, oh, we don't know what happened to him. We, we need a God, right? I mean, it's just, this is, this is just human nature. We could say to ourselves, well, I wouldn't have, I would have remembered, but, but, but you wouldn't have. That's human nature, that's why God gives us, he gives us moments, opportunities, patterns, and habits to build into our lives so that we will not, in fact, forget. This is the third remembrance. Remember to remember. God gave them this annual cycle. This is the first moment in this annual cycle that creates habits in their lives, patterns in their lives, so that they don't, in fact, forget the Lord. Turn back to chapter 12 and verse 21. It says, Then Moses called for all of the elders of Israel, and he said to them, Go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families, and slay the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in blood, which is in the basin, and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and to the two doorposts, and none of you shall go outside the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through and smite the Egyptians. When he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door. And will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. And you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. When you enter the land which the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall observe this right. And when your children say to you, what, is this, what does this mean? What's the, what's the point of this ritual? You shall say, it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord, who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt When he smote the Egyptians, but he spared our homes. And the people bowed low, and they worshipped. Any married couples in here? Raise your hand if you're married. Okay, awesome. No, keep it up. Okay, I want you to keep it up. Okay, you're married couples. Keep your hand up if you're married, and you also celebrate your anniversary. Okay, wait. Yeah. Okay, I saw a couple hands drop. We have trained professional counselors <laughs> will be at every X. Okay, you can put your hands down now, right? So why do, you, why do you celebrate your anniversary? Because you have to, right? I mean, it's a duty, it's a debt, it's an obligation. You're gonna be in trouble if you don't celebrate it. That's why you celebrate your anniversary, right? Please no, no, that is not, right, that's not. You celebrate to remember, right? You refresh your love for one another. Why did we first fall in love? Think about all the experiences that we've celebrated together, right? You're, That that gives you hope and encouragement to to face future challenges with joy because you've you've endured together and you love one another, right? It's this this but to remember to remember all that God had given them, to remind them that that in Him we live and, and breathe and move and we have our being. Everything good that we have in life is a gift from God and we've got to remember. So God said, I want, you, I want you to go through this pattern every year. Remember this every year. And I want you to put, every year, put the blood on the doorposts and on the lintel. And every year, I want you to, to bind this reminder on your hands and on your foreheads. They had phylacteries and mezuzahs. And they would put a little, if you've been in a Jewish home, there's a, there's a little canister. And it's got portions of the law. Usually, Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, listen, O Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And every time they go into the doorpost, they touch that and remember. They remember the blood, and they've got it on the backs of their hands. If you ever seen Orthodox Jews? They still still wrap boxes on their hands and boxes on their foreheads. I have a bracelet on my wrist right now. It says Ignite. This is for one of my my son's friends down in Houston. They have a group that is, uh, they're praying and attempting to share the gospel with their friends at Memorial High School. And so he gave me one of these. And every time I look at it, I pray for him. And then I pray for my son and my son's friends, all their friends in their high schools who are trying to share the gospel with their friends. It reminds me, right? It's it's a reminder and we need these reminders. So God gave to Israel a reminder. It's called Passover. And each element in the Passover was significant. Read with me in verse seven. It says, moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts of the house and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. And they shall take the flesh the same night roasted with fire and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. There's the lamb whose blood is slain but then the family goes into the house and they share a meal together. Enough for every person to eat. And then bitter herbs usually represented with horseradish. Right? So imagine making your kids eat a little horseradish. Eat some of this. A um, little insight into my family. My dad actually used to do this to my sister. Literally, she could eat anything and not squinch up her face, so he'd give her like a little syrup and then maybe some lemon juice on top and just see if he could make her. And he gave her horseradish. No, no, she didn't squint at all. Most kids do, right? Give him a little, you know, give him a scoop of wasabi, right? Just see how that. (laughs) Why? Because it represents the bitterness of slavery. And then later, a piece of parsley dipped in salt water, which represents our tears that we shed while we were in Egypt. Unleavened bread. Don't allow the the bread to, to leaven. Clean out all of the leaven. Why? Because when God's deliverance comes, man, it, it, it comes super fast. It comes so fast that your bread won't have time to rise. So during this period of time, you're going to remember that God's deliverance came and it came quickly. But then you're going to celebrate for a week after that because you've, you've cleansed all of the sin represented by leaven from your house and you've taken a week-long vacation, a break that you, you go to other people's houses and you celebrate God's deliverance and you celebrate freedom from death and freedom from the slavery of sin. And every element has significance and is a reminder and you give yourself an opportunity to teach your children that all that we are and all that we have is a gift from God. He gave us deliverance from death. He gave us deliverance from slavery. We're free because of him. And, church, you know God has given us A reminder as well that is uh, built off of the Passover. It's called the Lord's Supper Communion. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22 and verse 7. Luke 22, verse 7. Then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. All right, so the first day of unleavened bread was actually the Passover, and then there was a week of celebration after it. So we're on the first day. They're preparing for the feast of Passover. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us so that we may eat it together. They said to him, where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, when you have entered, a city, entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water, follow him into the house that he enters. And you shall say to the owner of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room? in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large furnished upper room, prepare it there. And they left and found everything just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The last meal that Jesus shared with his disciples was a Passover meal and he infused it with new meaning. As was typical, he took the unleavened bread and he broke it in front of them and he gave thanks to the king of the universe, the creator of all things, the giver of life and bread. And then he said, this is my body. It's my body broken for you. I will be your lamb, suffering for you." And then he took the cup and said, this, "This cup is a new covenant in my blood, not the blood of, of a lamb sprinkled on door post, but my blood, which will remove the debt of your sin. Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb. So what do we remember? Uh, we remember first God's justice. His holiness and his righteousness. You are dead in your transgressions, your trespasses, your sins. We each have a debt before God and the debt is our lives. It's the only appropriate payment for sin. But God has provided a substitute for us through Jesus. On the next day, John, John the baptizer, he saw Jesus coming to him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Paul developed this theology even further. 1 Corinthians 5, he said, Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Remember, once and for all, the moment that you believe, you are delivered from death. The debt of your sins is removed. And then God empowers you to continue to clean out that leaven of sin and to live a life that's righteous and holy and to celebrate his deliverance. Why? Because Jesus' death was powerful on your behalf. First Peter. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold. From your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. But with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless. The blood of Christ. Peter goes on to say. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. His debt was. Tra- our debt was transferred to him. So that when God looks upon us, he sees the blood of Christ written over our lives. And he doesn't have to come into our lives for judgment. Because the debt of sin has been paid in Jesus. So, how do we remember? Uh, If I could ask our servers to go back and prepare communion for us. We're going to close our our time celebrating the Lord's Supper together. But I want to give you a couple of, of things to remember as we're about to celebrate. The first is this. Remember your first act of faith. Uh, remember that moment when, when it finally dawned on you. And maybe it was a moment. Or maybe it was a period of time. Maybe you look back and you can't remember the exact moment. But, but you know. You're convinced. That Jesus paid the debt of your sins. I want you to just celebrate that for a moment. Because it was the Spirit of God that brought truth into your heart and mind. And made it clear that it really matters that there was this uh, Jewish rabbi who lived 2,000 years ago and hung on a cross. He hung on a cross not because he was guilty of any wrongdoing, but because of your sin. Or maybe this morning you're sitting, sitting there and, and this is the first time kind of this, this imagery and this metaphor of, of a lamb slaughtered and blood spread is beginning to sink into your heart and mind. And maybe today will be the day that you remember. You look back and say, okay, I remember where I was sitting and I remember that moment that I finally understood and I believed. I'll tell you, I've, I have, I've had many people come through the years and say, you know what, I remember. I remember. I remember where I was sitting, where God's Spirit just illuminated my mind and I understood. We should remember that moment. Maybe for the first time today. Maybe it's been long in the past. Second, I want you to remember your need to remember. We, we need these moments Continuously. Uh, in the early church, they would celebrate communion every day. Right? When the church was first born, they got together every day. And then it was uh, every first day of the week. We celebrate it once a month so we can keep it fresh in our minds. Right? But you might want to gather with some of your friends when you're, you're doing your Bible study or your home group. Say, so, you know, let's celebrate again before we end our study. Let's take out bread. Let's take out a cup. And let's remember to remember. Let's remember that, that God delivers us in a moment when we believe. And that God, through his strength, continues to deliver us. Because our tendency, church, is to forget. It is. So as we uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper together, if I could ask the servers to come forward. And as they're serving us, I'd like for you just to listen to the words that Julie's going to read from Revelation chapter 5. We'll wait till everyone is served, and then we'll take the cup and the bread together.
1: Then one of the elders said to me, ''Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals.'' Then I saw a lamb standing as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits, sent out into all the earth. He took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp they were holding. And they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped.
0: The night that Jesus was betrayed and abandoned, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup in the same way. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus, we remember. We remember that you are the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth in the heart of our heavenly father he knew that he would, he would give you up uh, his, his firstborn his most uh, precious possession that he would be willing to, to surrender and sacrifice as a substitute for our sins that we'd have life father pray that that remembrance would be fresh on our hearts and our minds this morning Just imagine that day when we'll be standing with men and women from every tribe and tongue and people and nations surrounding the throne and the worship will be deafening. It'll just be deafening because the Lamb is worthy and we'll be celebrating. So we have these moments where we not only remember what he's done for us in the past, but we look forward to that moment in the future where we're healthy and we're whole and we're complete and all conflict is resolved and we're before the the Lamb of the throne who's accomplished all of this for us. Let's give him thanks. Lord, thank you. Father, we thank you that you gave your son the lamb who was slain. We thank you that he is worthy, that he was worthy to take the scroll to break its seals. No one else was worthy but just the lamb, and he gave himself for us. Father, thank you that we have, we have forgiveness of the debt of our sins. We have, we have life. We have hope. We don't, we don't live under shame and guilt or the fear of death. Instead, we have, we have a future because of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you would stir up in our hearts our love and compassion for our friends and our family who don't have that hope yet that we would chase them down as, as, as your lamb chased us down so that they could know your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week remembering. We'll see you next week.